In this episode, I had a great conversation with Chaz um, talking about how he started his journey way back at college about his search for his own identity and place in this world and where that ultimately led him his struggles with um, mental health and his experiences as well as a young black man but growing up on a military camp and then having to face the awful truth as he started school that you know at some point noticing that he was different and it did make a difference that you know he was black and how he navigated his way through that and then became a life coach um, working with young people from underprivileged backgrounds and helping them to turn their lives around and using all of those skills that he himself had learnt and also perfected. It was um, a great interview and um, have a listen and um, I hope you enjoy and let me know your thoughts. So, hi Chaz. Um, Lovely to see you and lovely to have you here on my podcast, Toxic Masculinity, Behind the Mask, where we look at um, men and their mental health and how the role of society, culture and traditional roles play a part in that. And I know that you're a keynote speaker you um, write blogs, you're a mindset coach, and you're an author of a book called um, Success Starts Within. So tell me, where did your journey start for you? Well, thanks, Sherry. I I appreciate you for having me on the podcast. I'm very excited for today's conversation. So my journey really started when I was down in college, in school, And I went to Hampton University in Virginia in the United States here. And when I went to school, I was really trying to understand who I was, why I was on this earth, um, what I wanted to study, um, and, you know, trying to understand my self-identity as it relates to being a black man in America. Um, So I actually read a book titled Power of Positive Thinking by Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, back probably my junior year of college, Mm -hmm. maybe senior year in between. And when I read that book, it completely transformed my life. What I didn't realize was the way I was thinking was ultimately influencing my behaviors, Mm -hmm. which influenced my results, which also influenced my mental health and how I felt internally. So when I read that book, I literally read every personal development book I could in psychology, in neuroscience, in positive psychology, Mm. Martin Singelman, as well as, you know, studying like quantum physics and (laughs) um, some esoteric spirituality um, concepts to just try to understand my place in life. 
And I realized a lot of this knowledge isn't being taught in schools. And if it's not taught in schools, Mm -hmm. sometimes, most of the time, the parents aren't aware of this knowledge unless they go down this path. So what I wanted to do was create a nonprofit about seven years ago Mm -hmm. that started to teach mental wellness workshops for underserved youth in Baltimore and D.C. So they have the tools to cope before an adversity happens. And not only that, increase their mental health and mental wellness throughout their entire lives. So yeah, that's kind of where my journey started. Well, impressive, especially that you went so deep so young. You know, that one book seemed to be to have been the pivotal point that just sent you down that wonderful rabbit hole that we like to say when you're on that journey of discovery. Yeah, you bring up a good point. I I did go down a rabbit hole very quickly, very young, and I really attribute that to my, um, I don't know if it's a generational thing, but I'm, I don't take things face value, of course. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I have a scientific background, so my undergrad degree was computer science, so Mm. I always wanted to study some, if there's some empirical research or proof behind what I was reading. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I studied the spiritual principles, the psychology principles, and then the neuroscience just backed up all of these claims that many of the spiritual texts for thousands of years have always, have always been discussing. Mm. And that was like a revelation for me, um, to kind of see that. So yeah, I went down the rabbit hole and now I'm trying to help others increase the quality of their lives. Yeah, that's amazing. So um, what would you say, so what exactly was that realisation, that one maybe point in your discovery that that changed your life? Yes, I think there's many things, but the simple thing is that the way that we think influences our lives. And... It's amazing how I think um, um, one of the, I think Earl Nightingale said this, personal development speaker, he said, you know, the strangest secret in the world is actually not a secret at all, which is we become what we think. And there was always this conversation in my head of um, I can't do this, I can't do that. You know, just that negative script running through my head. And not only that, I was unconsciously influenced by um, how other people perceived black men, which also influenced who I would help me increase the quality of my life, um, which ultimately set me down the path of where I am now um, in coaching organizations as well as leaders um, from a mindset point of view as well as a well-being point of view. So what's it like working with um, those young people? What's been the most exciting or inspirational part of that? I think the most inspirational part is when they light up in the middle of our workshops. You know, the environment that we create, we want to create an environment that is fun, that is interactive, but is also giving them coping skills so they can flourish in life. Um, you know, how to disrupt negative self-talk and the importance of meditation and mindfulness. But when it all comes down to it, you got to get youth and uh, we mostly work with middle schoolers, but you got to get youth interested in this information. And mm-hmm. I find that they are interested in this information. 
because who doesn't want to be happy? Who yeah. doesn't want to live out and carry out their dreams to their fullest potential? So if you wrap it in that context and say, hey, this is the quickest path from A to B in terms of what you want to do in your life and your life gets better when you start doing these things, they light up mm. and they're encouraged, they're empowered. And I find in many of these underserved communities in Baltimore and D.C., there's not too many people discussing these topics in a way that is digestible, that is practical, and they can use in their everyday life. Not only that, you know, it, 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 I'm trying to make this stuff cool and sexy, right? So many people, you know, in the underserved communities, I mean, we, they, and even myself growing up, we spent a lot of money on buying Jordans, Nikes, jerseys, yep. shoes, designer items. And, you know, that's what success and well-being mm -hmm. and, six, and, and happiness is. But if we shift the conversation towards what we're talking about, there's much more lasting, sustaining um, success and well-being here, which is ultimately what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make well-being and happiness sexy. And how do you do that, you know, through these tools? So, Yeah. Do you, are you predominantly speaking to boys or, or is it, is it quite mixed? It's mixed. It's um, with the workshops that we've done previously, um, they've been 11 through 18 middle schoolers um, ages. And um, there, I would say it's probably about half uh, girls, half um, boys. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I, um, I love the energy that young people bring with them. And I've noticed myself, as you've, you've said as well, that they're quite open to kind of like finding out. So yeah, so who are you? What are you about? What are you going to tell me? You know, wow me. And um, which I think is, is a good enough place to start, you know, with, with, with your discussion. So that's, that's great. And I think it does really start at grassroots level. Yeah, you're right, Sherry. And you bring up a good point, which is, you know, I put myself in their shoes. So if I was their age and I had somebody come in to speak to me, you know, you know, they're trying to figure out who you are. Like, do you connect with me? Do you understand how I feel in my situation? Um, are you from this community? Do you understand, you know, what I come home to and what I go to school and why I'm going to school? So you bring up valid points in terms of, you know, connecting with them and then making sure that, you know, this information is presented in them that helps them in their life now as well as into the future. So, um, you know, I'll tell you a story. When we first started doing these workshops, you know, I asked all of the students, I said, hey, you know, somebody described to me an example of a negative thought. And, you know, there was many different examples. I can't do well on this test. Um, I'm not smart enough. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I'm not confident enough. And then another lady kind of said under her breath, um, very modestly, she said, you know, I've had thoughts about killing myself or thoughts about killing myself, not specifically related to her. She just gave an example. And um, everybody in the class said, no, 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 no. You shouldn't think like that, you know. We shouldn't be thinking about having those types of thoughts. And, you know, this was an opportunity where we can have these open discussions to discuss these topics that have really been stigmatized. 
in these underserved communities, black and brown communities, when we start talking about mental health and we start talking about, you know, thoughts of feeling as though that you, 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 you need to kill yourself or, and stuff like that, um, you know, mean people don't want to talk about it. And then they, they also feel like when people don't want to talk about it, then they feel like they're alone. So this created a space where I could discuss saying, hey, we all have had those thoughts in our lives and it's a normal progression in our lives as we go through the stress and the anxiety and the depression the best thing that we can do is become aware of it know that there's resources out here to assist and it's okay to talk about it this this creates an environment where they're open and able and willing to discuss their emotions when you don't discuss your emotions guess what they get pushed down and they tend to manifest in physical ailments. We have to be able to discuss all of the negative, positive, all of the emotions that we feel in our lives because whatever is repressed becomes expressed in ways mm -hmm. that we don't want them to. Yeah. But who do you think those young people can actually turn to and talk? Because, you know, you go in there and they feel all empowered and excited and they go away and then maybe, you know, they don't have a trusted adult or someone that they can share those thoughts with. Yeah, you bring up a valid point. And one of the things that we would like to do with our workshops is have continual workshops throughout the year where we keep coming back and we create that mentorship, collaborative um, relationship. Um, eventually, what I think you're alluding to, which is really important is, you know, when you do these workshops, you need to make sure that the teachers are also getting involved and they know how mm. to um, use these tools and be open to having discussions with youth, as well as getting the parents involved, because once they leave the environment, they have to go back home into a different environment from school, you know, maybe a little bit different from what we're teaching them. Um, so it creates a con an internal conflict there. So I do agree with you. I mean, we have to get to a point where everybody's um, getting taught these resources. So um, it creates a foundation and environment for the youth to grow and expand just at, you know, outside of the classroom and what we're in which we're teaching. Yeah, no, exactly. Because without the parental support, um, it's just not going to go anywhere. And um and I've noticed that when I've spoken to young people myself, they're very clued up, very switched on, but the parents aren't necessarily. They're, they're not that aware of the topics that the kids are either talking about or being affected by. And, um, you know, and obviously they've got their peer support group, but like you said, when they actually go home, and also it is educating the educators so that they're able to provide that support as well because they spend so much of their their days, weeks and months in that sort of like school environment. Yes, that's true. It's a community effort to raise a child and it's very important and imperative that everybody's involvement um, is uplifting the youth. So I, I do agree with you. Mm -hmm. And what about you growing up? You know, you, you said, you know, as a black man, you were aware, and I'm guessing of the 
um, differences in experiences that you were up against? And um, how did you navigate your, your way through all of that? Yeah, it's a good question. As I reflect on it, you know, I grew up as a military brat. So my father was in the United States Air Force and we moved around a lot. I lived on military bases. I was born on a military base here in the U.S. and Louisiana. And, you know, for most of my life, I was living in communities that did not look like me. And, you know, growing up as a child, I don't think you you really know that. No. Um, and you, you, as far as you know, you know, you just are looking for uh, something to play with, to be happy and to love and eat. That's it. Yeah. Very and, basic needs. Know, very, very basic needs. That's all we care about. It's only until you get to, I would say, elementary school, middle school, and you, you start to become aware that they, there are these differences amongst people and, you know, implicit biases, um, even certain blatant racism comments, as well as um, kind of just um, things you just become aware of as it relates to different cultures and races. So growing up in middle school and elementary school, I, you know, I started to realize that there were certain things that were different between me and others. And what really hit me was my mother, you know, we grew up in a predominantly multi-race um, community, mostly white um, and Asian and Indian. But my mom said to me in elementary school, she said, Chaz, you can't do everything like everybody else can. Um, you have to be on your P's and Q's. Um, and then, you know, growing up in the middle school and high school, when I started driving, you know, my dad said, you know, make sure that, you know, when you get pulled over, you put two hands on the wheel, you don't make any sudden movements, um, you reach for your wallet and your insurance card very, very slowly. So growing up, you started to really see these subtleties in terms of how um, you were being taught how to live. And I started to realize that many of my peers weren't being taught these mm. messages. And I said, well, well, clearly there's something, there's something afoot here. So that, you know, that's when I started kind of just doing my own kind of research here. And as I started to grow up, you know, I started to realize the whole history behind this um, in terms of being a black male in America and being able to protect yourself. Um, and the images that are have been displayed and continuous, continuously displayed as it relates to black people in America. So, you know, I think my parents, they knew it. They were trying to teach me as early as possible. Mm -hmm. And I adopted those very, very quickly because, you know, it's a survival mechanism. You know, I remember a time, so one of my good friends who recently passed, um, he was white. We were best friends from elementary school all the way up until even past college until he passed. But, you know, one time me and him, you know, we were play fighting in school. I think this was probably middle school or elementary school. And um, I can't even remember the situation, but my mom vividly remembers this is when the situation happened, um, I was the only one that got in trouble and my friend did not get in trouble. Mm. And my mom, she marched right up to the school and she said, you know, they're friends, they, you know, they, you know, they were just play fighting, whatever, whatever. 
why is it that Chaz is the only one getting in trouble and not his friend, right? And my mom intuitively knew that, you know, there's many different biases out there, you know, and she knew um, that I couldn't do everything like everybody else because I would be signaled as the bad individual or the person who yeah. started the fight because of my skin color. So, you know, those were just certain stories that begin to pick up with me where I realized that I have to move a little bit differently than everybody else. And my skin color ultimately um, is something I need to be more aware of. Yeah, which is which is really tough, isn't it? Having to have that awareness and be almost like on on the alert and the lookout for little signals, little signs that something might be afoot and then acting non-aggressively so as not to incite any unwelcome um, threats, I, I suppose. Yeah, it, it can be tough, especially in um, professional working environments and just being aware, you, you know, certain subtleties and, you know, even walking into a, an elevator, um, just being mindful. You know, you're constantly on guard on, in terms of, you know, what are my nonverbals communicating? Um, are people safe around me? And... Um, you know, I think early in my life that was really tough because I was constantly thinking about other people, especially as a black man. But as I continue to study myself, gain more self-awareness of myself, continuously read books in my personal development and increase my mental well-being, I started to be more comfortable with myself, um, which I think influenced kind of um, how I was being portrayed externally. Of course, I can't influence anybody else and make them think a certain way about me, but I started to become more comfortable with myself regardless of what anybody else thought. And I think that is key. Also to mm -hmm. be mindful, but I started to become more comfortable within myself regardless of what anybody else thought. That's um, amazing. I know that... Um, you, you wrote that in 2017, I think that's where everything came crashing down and the joy in life kind of like, you know, there wasn't any, there wasn't any joy, there wasn't any meaning anymore. So where does that part of the story fit in? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. So Prior to 2017, you know, I went down the rabbit hole of personal development and studied all these all this material. And in 2017, I graduated from school and I had my first time um, kind of being out there in the job workforce, my first job. And I had the salary I wanted. I had the car I wanted. I lived in a nice apartment complex in Arlington, Virginia, which is right near Washington, D.C. here in the United States. And, you know, I thought I had it made. And unfortunately, you know, I was working super hard in a job that I didn't like. I felt stuck. Mm. I felt um, stifled as it relates to my potential. I knew that there was something more for me, but I didn't know where to go or what to do. And then on top of that, it was like this inner joy of me waking up in the morning and I felt kind of depressed or fearful for the day in terms of what it might bring because I just wasn't happy. And ultimately what happened was when I was around my family and friends on the weekends, 
I could tell how low my energy was and I could tell how my unhappiness was affecting them. And that's when it hit me. I said, something has got to change. I'm re- I've read all these books. I know everything about the mind and body and mental well-being. I'm teaching youth all of this information with our nonprofit. And yet I'm not happy. And I just, I feel sad. I feel depressed and I feel lost and stuck. Mm-hmm. And I, and here's what happened, Sherry. I worked harder on my jo- on the job, but there wasn't any inner fulfillment or any inner happiness. So I realized, why is it that I automatically attribute to working harder and then feeling better about myself? You know, we've mm. all been hypnotized. We think that if we accomplish a certain goal, buy a new car, get this certain position, have this certain relationship, that we're going to be happy and fulfilled for the rest of our lives. Yeah. And that's not the case. And that sent me on a journey to actually implement many of the practices that I had learned because I was reading, but I wasn't integrating these principles of regular exercise, eating correctly, regular meditation, and then become more in alignment in terms of my purpose or my why in life. And that really led me to write my book, Success Starts With Them. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, funny how we get trapped in that illusion don't we of what success looks like in our world and I think that's where men have struggled the most in terms of when we look at the stats for mental health and when we see that you know the leading cause of death amongst males of all ages is suicide And it can't be then that, you know, life is so dandy and perfect in a man's world if so many men are struggling. So did you find yourself that it was easy to actually open up and speak to your friends and family about how you were struggling? I did not find that easy at all. And I don't think during that time frame I necessarily spoke about it. Um, and I, I think during that time frame, I was uncomfortable with where I was. So it was much harder for me to speak about it because if I, I spoke about it to others and I would have to acknowledge it and, you know, coming home after a long work day, you know, just kind of being, um, you know, frustrated, um, and then just feeling burnt out, um, and then waking up the next day in the morning and then also being burnt out and tired after I had a seven to eight hour sleep. So I was, I was just lost. And, um, you know, I thought I had it made. I thought I did what I was supposed to do to become successful. And yet there was not this inner fulfillment and happiness, um, that I was seeking. And it wasn't until I started doing these integrative daily habits, these practices that that internal fulfillment, joy, started to really kind of unfold in my life. And then that influenced, you know, how I spoke to people, how I spoke to myself in terms of my self-talk. You know, I started to really become more in alignment to like my career goals. And I really started to enjoy this process of life. So um, that's, that's amazing and very inspirational. Um. So what does mental well-being look like for you today? 
So mental well-being looks like for me is, I'll tell you like really good examples, which is, you know, when something doesn't go my way, I'm able to sort of um, become aware of the emotion that rises in my body. And I'm able to um, modulate or influence how I feel about that situation. And that, that happens to me. It happened to me yesterday where I felt the emotion rise and I said, wait a minute, I feel it emotion rise. I'm just going to let it pass through. Right. So that's being able to manage certain um, stresses in my life and things that may not go my way. So that's what mental health or mental well-being means to me so I can continue to flourish in life. So another example would be, you know, I don't leave the house without a meditation session. In the book, I discuss all of the neuroscience and all of the spiritual traditions in terms of um, how this one practice, this daily practice, can ultimately influence every aspect of your life. And you've heard the quotes before, the mind is all, you know, thoughts influence your reality. Mm -hmm. If that's the case, then we should be taking control of how we use this faculty, our brain and our mind. So I'm a closet meditator. I'm, I meditate in my closet 20 minutes every morning, and I just focus on my breath. Sometimes I use an app like Calm or Headspace, and sometimes mm -hmm. I don't. Typically, I just focus on, on my breath. And when my thoughts begin to veer, I just gently bring them back to my breath, and that's the exercise of meditation. And I found that when I center myself in the morning, I have more clarity, more intention, and not only that, neuroscience is proving this. You have more focus, you have more concentration, and you also have more self-discipline. And not only that, which is the real reason why we're on this earth, is to enjoy this process of life. It's just that inner joy, just that, you know, that, that, that flowing river that kind of flows through you. Even when adversity happens, there's still that inner joy that you can tap into, which I found to be um, very, very um, comforting. So what would be for anyone out there listening and thinking, how do I even start this journey? What would be sort of like three easy steps for them then to to at least try and turn or take control of their lives? Yeah, so one step that I would recommend and out of everything that I've studied in terms of what has had the greatest amount of impact on my life and improving the quality of my life in the here and now and not later has been a morning routine. So, you know, I wake up at 5 a.m. and I have a morning routine and typically that is um, aerobic exercise, which could be a run. Um, as well as meditation and then reading 20 minutes um, in terms of a book um, for professional development. Now, you know, just start, starting off, it can be tough to find time to do all of those things. Um, so what I recommend for anybody that is looking to increase the quality of their life right now is just set some time aside in the morning to just get grounded. And grounding could be anything for you. It can be meditation. It can be prayer. It could be reading a book. It could be exercising. Many of these practices, which are outlined in the book, and I kind of have a breakdown on how to use them and the certain time frames in which you can use them, but many of these practices influence every aspect of your life, and they carry, they they give you the not only the empowerment in the morning, but they give you kind of the. Um, 
the productivity, the joy, the love that you want to experience early in the morning, and it carries with you throughout the day. And I find that that has had the greatest impact on me. Um, Another tip that I recommend is similar to what I mentioned in terms of being aware of what you're thinking. You know, many of us have no idea what we're thinking. What I like to say in my seminars when I coach um, entrepreneurs and leaders and with corporations, I say, you know, think about what you're thinking about. Because you'd be surprised most people don't think. They don't even realize that they're thinking. Become aware of what you're thinking during certain moments of the day. Ask yourself, how am I feeling? Right? Ask yourself, you know, is there something I can do to increase my joy today? You know, how can I set up my day in a fashion that ultimately influenced the quality of my life? For me, that happens to be a meditation in the morning or reading a book or making sure I have some tea in the morning. Um, and, and, and number one, always right before I wake up, I, the first thing I do is never touch my phone and start scrolling on social media or emails because um, that tendency, that tendency to has, has an effect on the rest of your day in terms of how you feel internally and your concentration and focus. Yeah, I think that's it. That's a huge tip, especially for young people um, out there, um, because that's the way that they reconnect, isn't it, with the with the world and then wonder why they have a bad day or they struggle. So I think that's a really that's a really good tip. What inspired you to um, write your book? So it would go back to um, the story back in 2017. I had read all of this personal development material, and yet I still wasn't happy, and yet I didn't have the performance or productivity that I wanted, and yet I didn't feel like I had my well-being under control. And it really stemmed from me realizing that we've all been hypnotized in terms of what success looks like in our lives. Success looks like well-being. The whole principal point behind why I wrote this book is your outward success is only viable as your inner well-being. And if I and if you don't have these integrated practices daily that keep you grounded, that keep you centered, um, you will feel like you're climbing up a mountain. And when you reach the peak, you don't even know if you're on the right mountain or on the right peak. You've been working so hard trying to achieve your goal and you get to the mountain and you realize you've been climbing the wrong mountain. And not only that, you haven't been enjoying the journey. So this book is about for people to to get more in alignment with who they are and where they're going so they can achieve more and stress less. But not only that, create their happiness and their joy right now, not in the future. I'm not going to wait to accomplish a goal before I feel empowered, right? Because many of the principles that I'm sharing in this book stem from creating an inner well-being now so you carry it with you along your journey up the summit towards your goal because once you create these inner qualities now um, you carry them with you along your journey towards success and you don't have to wait to have that inner fulfillment that joy that happiness or that love you create it right now very powerful and i love the analogy that you gave with climbing up that mountain because I think we can all we can all relate to that when you're standing there thinking 
I must have taken a wrong turn somehow because this doesn't look like the future I wanted to create. So that's just really, really, um, that's really good. Have you got um, any any messages for anyone out there that might be might be struggling? Anything that you've um, found in in many of your talks and dealings with people? Yeah, I just have one message, and it's been helpful for me and many of the clients that I work with, which is, you know, even if you do feel lost or stuck or unfulfilled, not happy or depressed, know that there are resources out there to help you. You have everything that you need. Um, Even if you feel like you don't, affirm yourself in knowing that if you start seeking those resources, they'll also come to you. And once you start using those resources, reaching out to mentors, listening to podcasts such as these, reading certain material and books such as mine or others, know that you can increase the quality of your life. And once you start seeking that material, start utilizing it, your life gets better. Your life gets better right now. Now, You're not waiting for it. It gets better right now. So just trust yourself and seek those resources. So Chaz, hi, how can people um, reach you and find out more about you? Because I know that they can also book you for um, talks and everything and also your book. No, absolutely. So my website is chazscott.com. So that's C-H-A-Z-Z-S-C-O-T-T.com. And you can find a lot of my blogs, on my material, as well as my newsletter, Um, You can book me for speaking engagements and find out some more information about my coaching. Um, I also have a free, um, three free eBooks for individuals that are interested in learning more about some of the work that I do to help you achieve um, more and stress less. But those free eBooks are at chazscott.com forward slash free books. So those are some resources to help you um, through any of the information that we've discussed today as well. That's brilliant. So anything, what, you know, anything exciting coming up for you in the next couple of months? Uh, next couple of months, obviously the book's coming out this month. Um, and then also actually our nonprofit, Positively Caviar, in August 12th, we're actually hosting our second annual back to school mental wellness workshop where we're going to have youth from all over Baltimore City um, in Maryland Um, come together to give them coping skills. So we're going to have a yoga instructor, meditation instructor, and nutritionists discuss how food affects emotions and well-being, as well as hand out some free school supplies and some uh, we'll be feeding the kids as well. But it's really just a um, a nine to two uh, fun workshop on a Saturday just before school starts so Mm -hmm. they can have the, the tools that they need to become to be successful in school and you know, throughout their entire lives. That's wonderful. Is that the first time that you're running a back-to-school workshop or is this something you've been doing for a few years now? We did it the first time last year. We had a really good turnout of about 22, 22 um, youth. So this year we're expecting to jump up to about 30 or 40 or 50. Um, so, and we're reaching out to sponsors to help us assist and some of this as well. So yeah, we're really excited. 
That's amazing. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you, Chaz. Love the work that you do. It resonates a lot with with me. I think there's a lot to take away from all that you've said about, um, you know, overcoming overcoming sort of like negative, a negative mindset, because I think we've all got a mindset. It's just that, unfortunately, we've been programmed to think more in a negative way than we are in a positive, affirmative way. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just a question of reframing. So I think that's really good. And we've got some really good sort of like tools to equip people with as well. So thank you very much. And I wish you all the best in your onward journey. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you found this um, conversation with Chaz really helpful and that you've taken, you know, some very useful and handy tips away with you that you can implement into your life. And then just see how just changing your thoughts and building in a routine is going to really make a difference to your life. And if you feel inspired and you have a story that you'd like to share, then reach out, contact me. I'd love to have you on the podcast and take care until the next time.